Hello, women in medicine. This is Dr. Me First, a podcast all about authentic conversation between us female physicians. Through these conversations that I have with female colleagues, I hope to bring you encouragement, inspiration, hope, and fun to your life and your practice. So there's no more reason to feel alone in medicine because you have just now found the community of true speakers, lifesavers, fierce females who are going to support one another. I'm Dr. Erin Wiseman, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, and this is episode number 27. In today's episode, I am talking with Dr. Uchina Ome. This doctor, she's amazing. She is just so full of life. She's pediatric trained, but she's doing some amazing work around suicide. And actually, that's our word today. Even though this can be a really heavy topic, I think that you'll find this conversation absolutely inspiring. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation. And remember, stick around for that kick of encouragement afterwards. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Erin Wiseman again, and I have a fabulous guest that we have literally been talking for 45 minutes before this recording because we have had so much fun. So we finally decided to hit the record button, and I cannot wait to share Dr. Ume with you. So Dr. Ume, tell us all about yourself. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for this platform. As you know, I could. I, how much time do you have? <laughs> 49 years and some change to put into three minutes. So my name is Dr. Uche Naume. It's a Nigerian name, authentic Nigerian name. My first name means God's will. Ume, you don't want to go into that. But I am a pediatrician. I like to call myself a mama-trician. I'm also a grand doctor because I have a bunch of my patients who now have kids. So I am the first known grand doctor. I actually coined that name. And I am... been in private practice for coming on 30 years now. So when I said I given that itch of, okay, you're going to be 30 years, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I started to rebrand myself. And so I started thinking about what to do. And then coincidentally, I started having a lot of my patients coming in and I'm sure other people too, with depression and cutting and anxiety and just mental health issues. I felt that that was kind of on the rise. And I said, you know what, maybe I should look more into this. And so One thing led to the other. I found myself quitting my job and uh, trying to talk full time. So it's been about two and a half months now since I quit my job. I love it, love it, love it. And I mostly just speak now to really anyone that will listen, but especially at the schools, middle schools, elementary schools, high schools, colleges, and any group of people really where two or three of them are gathered. I want to talk to them about depression and suicide. So that's kind of I don't know. That's about it. I am a mom, of course. I have three tres amigos and a wife and one very hyperactive rat terrier mixed dog. So all together, we make one happy family. That's beautiful. I love it. I love what you're doing. And our word today is exactly that, suicide. And it is rising. We know that from data that it, it is Did you have a certain event that happened in your life or in a patient's life that really just shook you to take on this banner for depression and suicide? And so maybe several would probably be the way to answer that. But the three top ones will be in um, around July, mid-July 2000. One of my very, 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 very good friends took her life, a doctor. 
Now, how did I know about this? I hadn't spoken to her in a while. I was having a difficult pregnancy. That's why I know the exact time of the year. And I was like, you know, let me just call this chica, see how she's doing. And I call, and it was a 16-year-old niece that picked up the phone and said, oh, she blew her brains out. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Can I speak to your mother now? So her mom is like, yes, I'm so sorry. I apologize. That's my 16-year-old. She doesn't know how to handle it. But they had gone to church and came back and found out she had found a gun or bought a gun or something and had committed suicide in the little room that she was, her little room in the house. So that was then. That triggered a bad thing for me because I ended up having my son two weeks later, six weeks early. So that was one. And then I, yeah, that was 2000. And in 2008, um, about March 2008, I had a 15-year-old boy come to see me with his mother who thought he was doing drugs and wanted me to test him for drugs. This was when I was in private practice. And it turned out that the mom um, did not really like the fact that I said he had depression. And I said, no, I don't think he's doing drugs. I think he's depressed. He probably needs to be on medication and get some counseling like yesterday. She was like, well, if it's just depression, then that's fine because I had depression. I did okay. He's going to be fine. That was in March. And then come July 4th, again, July 2008, in front of the family barbecue during the 4th of July celebrations, he put a double barrel in his mouth and pulled the trigger. And that was my first child, a patient who completed suicide. And then it just kind of went up from there, patients coming in with depression and suicidal thoughts and ideations and just cutting. And, and then um, in May of this year, I had an eight-year-old patient who attempted suicide twice. And that was it for me. At that point, I was like, I got to do something about this. If I don't do something about this, I'm going to literally end up in the belly of a fish. So I, I decided to start talking to my, my superiors about getting just less hours so I could do it. Just maybe one day off in the week so I could go to the schools and just minister to these kids. That didn't really go well, as you can imagine. They said, no, we need you here all, every day, all day. I was like, but listen, I'm the top producer in the clinic. I'm producing 136% productivity. Can I have one day? It's not working longer. It's working better. I can still do this in four days, but they didn't like that. So I decided to take the high road. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm doing now. So I mostly speak professionally now, really to anyone who will listen. I'm really thankful to you for this opportunity to do this. Yeah. Well, I think because it's so important um, on so many different levels, um, I think it's so important to see someone like yourself, one of our own, who has bucked the system and said, okay, you're not going to support me in this. Well, this is my God-given calling, and I'm still going to do it anyway. And so I applaud you in that. And I also applaud you because we know that female physicians are at a huge higher rate of suicide as well. A female surgeon, their suicide rate is four times the national average. and for our sisters in arms, I, I can't stomach it. I'm like you. I, I want no one to know. I want everyone to know that they're not alone. Yes, that's one of my favorite songs. I think um, the last keynote that I did, the first keynote I did, I had them play Bill Withers' Lean on Me When You're Not Strong. I was talking to doctorate students. The second keynote that I did, I had them play You Were Not Alone by Michael Jackson. I just thought that was, that was probably just as well, because I was talking to caregivers of the elderly mm -hmm. and painting the picture because I did not know. I did not, first of all, I did not know the statistics you just gave me on the female surgeons. 
Indeed, my friend who committed suicide was a, was a surgical resident. Oh my God. Okay, never mind. But yeah, I didn't think about that until you just said that. She was also a doctor. However, I found out in my research that the elderly are, they have the highest rate of suicide of all ages, which no one really talks about that because we talk about young people committing suicide because they are young and you're like, oh my God, they have their whole life ahead of them. Nobody needs to commit suicide. No age is age enough. But the fact that the elderly, and I started looking into the reasons why, I'm like, oh my God, it makes a lot of sense, you know? However, you're very right. We just need to start talking about it. And so one of my big hashtags out there is talk saves lives and silence kills. So those are my two favorite hashtags. My third hashtag, which is relatively long, is it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to be to stay that way. That's my my own long hashtag that I kind of put together. Like, okay, you know, just talk about it. Everyone has a downtime. Everyone has downturns. I have been depressed. I have been suicidal. I didn't end up doing it because I said that, and my wife heard it, and she was like, "Not on my watch." And then she kind of just put all kinds of processes in place and reminded me of why I needed to be here. And it was a bit of a journey, but I was like, okay, you're right. Yeah. Another statistics that I'll just put out there is somewhere between 40 and 50% of female physicians will admit to suicidal ideation. So that means at least half of us are brave enough to say that we've thought about it. I think those numbers are higher. Now, do I was we actually- just going to say that it's, it's so much higher because you know, the number that everybody throws around is 400 doctors a year, right? Oh, I think it's double or triple. You know that that study was done in 78, Mm -hmm. 1978. So that tells you, I know this year alone, three physicians who have committed suicide. And that's only me. If I asked you, if I asked everybody else, what the numbers will be like. Well, because the other thing too, um, with that data is who certifies deaths? Physicians. Who takes care of their own? We do. And we know that it has a financial impact on families if you certify a a physician's death as a suicide. You know, the the insurance, well, the stigma of it too, um, I think is something that's absolutely huge. And I think part of it is culturally, there's at times that we don't want to admit that we're human and that we have we have issues too, but I think it's so important and I just applaud you for your journey and, and speaking it and saying, hey, I've been there because you know what? A majority of us have studies say that, you know, and that's this other scary thing about physicians. We don't get second chances. We know how to do it. And we do it right usually the first time. It's the same way in the elderly. The elderly are the same way. That's why their suicide rates are so much higher because they don't putz around with it. When it happens, it happens. They're not a 16-year-old girl trying to just put just to see if maybe, just maybe. No, you're very right. However, I also like what you said about the fact that I'm talking about it. Do you know that many, many of us physicians were trained in our mind to be there, to be strong, to show no pain, to be the Spartans, right? We got to be the Spartan boys. We're going to stand. We're going to just stay here, stoic, you know, I'm got to show this face and all that. However, as you know, deep inside, we all cry in the dark. But, you know, it's also okay to cry outwardly. Let people see your tears. Let people see that you are human. Let people see that... Um, you're okay and it's fine. I mean, you're not okay and it's fine. You know, let, let people just see that and know that, that you're totally, oh, am I mute? Nope, you're still going. No, okay. 
Yeah, that let people see that and know that you're you're not alone. You know one thing about people, people forget one thing about physician suicides, people forget that when I commit suicide, it's not just my family. There, okay, in my case, six hundred maybe, okay, six thousand patients that just lost their doctor. Mm-hmm. How about those people that have come to love and have come to love me? And what about my coworkers? My family, of course, but I don't want it to be a case of just family. And that's why I'm actually in the talks with a couple of movie people to do, to do a documentary about the people left behind, not just the family members, their coworkers, their neighbors, because of the mode of death. Mm-hmm. Not your dog. I mean, come on, you know, just every other person that's affected by you. You never know. What about the, the store that you go to, your dry cleaners that you go every Sunday and you've made a relationship with someone there and maybe because of your personality, what about that person when they hear about it? You know, there's so many more people who are affected by suicide that we're not thinking about. I want those people's stories, not just the family. I want all those people's stories. Yeah. Well, and I think it attests too that when you get in such a deep, dark place that you're only out is killing yourself. That's what we have to advocate for. That's what we've got to speak up for. That's where we have to start noticing our colleagues who are hurting before it gets to that point. You can say that again. I think the main thing is, as you just mentioned, early detection, so to say, right? And if I see you and I know, even if I don't know you, I mean, sometimes you just feel like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. But don't, don't be, the funny thing about it, don't ask me, are you okay? If you're not ready for my answer that, no, I'm not okay. Like, what if I do say, no, I'm not okay? Now, what are you going to do? Are you just going to, was it just, just something to say in the elevator because, you know, we just happen to be together. Are you ready for my response when I say I'm not okay? Yeah. And, and one thing I do is I teach parents what not to say, which can be very, 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 very dangerous if you say the wrong thing. First of all, your child is probably not going to come to you anyway. But if they do, in the chance that your child comes to you that they're thinking of killing themselves, do you know what to say? Right. Do you know that you should never, ever say, you're right. You're just joking. You're not really going to do it. For that boy, he's not even worth it. Things like that. You don't ever want to say that. Because one of the things that happens to, the reason why we have a high rate of school shootings is most of those kids have been bullied for so long and they've been told, oh, they've been called a sissy or apparently there's a, they call people gay now. That means that you're effeminate or you're weak and Calling them those names, you know what? Eventually they think in their minds, I'm going to show you that I'm not weak. I'm going to show you that I'm, I'm strong. I'm going to show you that. And then they go get a gun and the rest is history. A lot of those stories are not being told. When we have the school shooting, we focus on the shooter. We don't focus on how did we get to this shooter? How did this kid who was a happy-go-lucky kid a year ago, two years ago, how did we make him the making of the school shooter? You know? Yes, they come from broken homes. Yes, they some. But some of them have two-parent homes. They're rich. They're from a good, strong, powerful background. But there's so much I can take, and then I want to lash out, and then the rest is history, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just so glad. Since I started talking about suicide and talking about depression and just the things that lead us there, I have found so many realms. Like I was talking to a group of adults who said to me, well, I would never kill myself. I would So I asked her, I said, do you have high blood pressure? She said, yes. I said, do you have diabetes? She said, yes. How do you know? I said, I'm just asking. 
And I said, do you take your medicine all the time? She said, oh, girl, the doctor said I have diabetes, but you know, that ain't my portion. And I said to her, I said, do you realize that you're slowly committing suicide? You may not hang yourself. You may not shoot yourself, but you're slowly committing suicide. And then she, she, it, it hit her that there are many ways to do this thing here, you know? So I think hopefully that day I planted the seeds of no more judgment in her mind. She won't be thinking that, oh, just because I hung myself, somehow she's better than me, but she's not taking her medicine and eventually going to end up with chronic renal failure and dialysis and then what? Depression. <laughs> yep. So. Yep. Preach, sister friend. It's the absolute truth. Because I, I, it's, I think, yeah, so much we have focused on the end and we haven't focused on the journey to that end. You know, that's, you know, like when the, the, when the suicide happens, when the death happens, then that leaves everybody with their hands in the air saying, what, why, how did this happen? But I'm so glad that you're speaking out and, and showing all the steps that got to that and to that point as far as um, in so many realms because in society today, we are more interconnected with the internet and our devices, but I think we are such a huge gap in relationships. I was going to say something like that. I saw a video, I think it was on Facebook, the, the gentleman was talking about how we have more virtual friends, but less meaningful relationships. Like, you know, you can like, you know, so many likes. And of course, as you know, that's a whole nother topic, cyberbullying and or just social media and its own impact. As you know, there was that study that came out about the, the Gen I, the females, the girls, apparently they are twice or three times more likely to become depressed or have symptoms of depression because of the social media, the fact that either they are being bullied, but more so they don't look like that person, that they want to look like that person, or they didn't get enough likes on their posts. And even adults, even adults, even that imposter syndrome, I just found out what it really means. I was like, oh my God. We're all guilty of it in a way. Oh, God, I, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm, they're so happy. How come they're doing so well? The funny thing about the social media is most people do not post their bad day pictures. And when I discovered that, I started doing that more. And one of the videos that I never had any, I didn't do any kind of boosting or whatever. It was just after, I think after Anthony Bourdain's suicide on the first kids page suicide, I just I had a like just a oh my god moment and I cried and I just ugly cry. That video got like six thousand views just because I was like literally just like being myself and just saying that look, this is a sad day in America. This is a bad thing. I loved Anthony Bourdain. I didn't know him. I wanted to be him. Kate Spade, I wanted her paycheck. You know, it's like, oh my God, like this is so real that money cannot save you from this. Money could save nobody. None of Hollywood would ever commit suicide if fame and money was enough. So we have to dig deeper to the meaningful relationships that are missing. And the fact that the, the average teenage girl might cut, 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 say she's sad, sad, say she's depressed, depressed. And then finally, when she commits suicide, like, well, we, had no, we, had, we didn't know the signs. We didn't see the signs. What else do you want her to tell you when she was cutting, when she was anorectic and when she was, you know, bulimic and all those other signs of, I'm not okay, y'all. I'm not okay, you know? And then she commits suicide. We're like, oh, we had no, we had no idea. We didn't see the signs. What else do you want to see? Yeah, I think, and I think that's what's so important as we move forward is bringing community, bringing meaningful relationships in our lives, in, in, yeah, in our children's lives. I just had this discussion with my seven-year-old. 
that we talked about, it, it was after like the stupid tablet wasn't charged. And I said, is that real life? Is that real life, your tablet? Well, it's really fun, mom. And I said, real life is happening around you. Around you. And <laughs> we, yeah. And so I'm big about the outdoors. So we try to get outdoor time as much as the weather will allow every day. And, you know, and I'm very forward when we go out in public that my children speak to other people. Like we are huge library fans. And I guarantee you, every worker in there knows the Wiseman children because we really make it a point to talk to people and I'll ask them, you know, how are you doing today? And like teaching them that the, the friends on the internet, that's not real. You can have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans. And yes, you know, as us being in small business, you know, we're trying to get our word out. We're trying to have a good fan base. But ultimately, if I had a small tribe who I know I could pick the phone up any given day and call them, that's worth more than 10,000 likes on Facebook. And I think that's an important message that we've got to start teaching our kids and we've got to start reinforcing ourselves that our self-worth is not based on that. We are enough. Yeah, we are enough. Um, it's commendable. Congratulations on pulling that up. I don't know how old your kids are, but that reminds me of when my kids were younger. We used to do, we, oh my God, I think somebody had asked, you know, about volunteering. And I was like, you know, it's funny when I went back, we set up with the soup kitchen the sandwich kitchen, and we've done the Ronald McDonald House. We've built four Habitat for Humanity homes. We volunteer at the food bank. I'm like, oh my God, I have done, I've tried to make my kids see the other side because it exists and you're pretty much one paycheck away from that other side anytime. And I, the best reward I could have ever asked for was when my oldest son told me, he said, mom, you know what? He volunteers downtown with the inner city kids at the LGBT place. He, bus, he drives the bus and teaches English. Uh, while pulling a double major at Stanford, I was like, I was like, my work is done. Like, yeah. seriously? You, you, he said, yes, ma'am, he does. I'm like, so, you know, just keep up that good work. You never yeah. know the seeds that are going to fall on the fertile ground and yield yeah. huge, ginormous fruits. So keep up the good work. Just keep it up. It's amazing. Just keep it up. Keep it up. Just, I mean, oh my God. Yes, thank you. Thank Any you. other any other things in your heart that you feel right now that you want to share with our listeners about this topic of suicide? So I think my main thing is just talking, talking about sadness, talking about depression, talking about the fact that life is not always fun, fun, fun. There are sad times there. And also telling someone to, to learn how to have those two words, empathy and compassion. Of course, as you know, empathy is being able to feel someone else's pain, but compassion is also feeling the pain and having the desire to help them. So those two combination, that combination of words is what we need. And we're a little kindness. And then kindness brings me to my own little, what's the word acronym that I came up with the word talk, because I'm all about talk, talk, talk. So it's actually a talk where A is for awareness. We just have to be aware of the fact that we're not always going to be okay. Sometimes we need to lean on someone. Sometimes we need to say, I'm not okay. And then T means tell someone that I'm not okay today. T also means talk to somebody. Tell them they're going to be okay. This is not, this too shall pass. This is not forever. A means allow yourself to sometimes be sad, sometimes be down, but don't stay there too long. You got to come back out. And then of course, 
it, it also means alleviate pain and fear and suffering in anyone at any time, whenever you've given the, the opportunity. L, it's for loving yourself to the fullest. If you can love yourself that much more, then you can love another because you can't give to some, someone what you don't have. Then L also means live your life to the fullest. Live it to every single day at a time, one little day at a time. Easier said than done, but practice makes perfect. And then K is knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge about the signs of depression. Knowledge about the signs of suicidal ideation. Knowledge about what to say, what not to say. And then, of course, the last K is for kindness. So kindness, I know when I start looking up that trait, that character trait is the best character trait that that anyone can have and therefore portray. If we could just show a little kindness to anyone else, they would just be like, like if you see someone who is being bullied, being talked down on, whether it's at work, whether it's at play, whether it's at school, you know, just say, you know, I'm so sorry I saw that. I'm sorry you had to go through that. You know, if you need anything, just let me know. When I, the last time I went to my son's school for career day, I gave the kids the homework. I said, if you see any child sitting alone in the cafeteria, you go sit with them. Don't say anything the first day. Don't say anything the second day. The third day, that kid is going to speak to you. They will speak to you because like, okay, you're not going away. You must be real, authentic. Do that. Break that, break that shell. Break that cocoon. Just try to be in there. Even if they don't know what to say, you don't know, that's okay. Wow. I see you ate that yesterday. Does it taste really good? I must try it. Just find something to start off with. Just go and sit next to them first and just see, just be in their space and see what, and just see the transformation in that child a week from that. Okay. And then the other thing I do try to say to people, which I did not know until I started looking into this, is there is an app. It's called the Not Okay app. It's free download. It's got a red sign with a white thing going across it saying not okay. What that app is, it was actually founded by two kids in, in Atlanta, two black kids. The brother was like a techie guy and his sister had had depression or ADHD or something. And so they come up with this app whereby you download it and put in five names of trusted people for your child or for your, yourself or for your parent. Those five names stay in there. Anytime they're feeling down, all they got to do is text, I'm not okay. And it gets blasted out to those five people, including your GPS location. So they're going to come and get you. They're going to come to you and find out what's going on. I love that app. So that's, yeah. for me, that app is just like amazing. Well, we I mean, will put it in the show notes for everybody and all of that. Dr. Ome, I love your heart. And you're <laughs> going to have to come back and talk with this. But if our viewers want more of you beyond this podcast, where can they come find you? Um, so I'm not going to brag, but. Some you of brag, the- <laughs> you brag. Go ahead. All the social media platforms, yes, but Facebook probably is my most frequently used one. So I have my regular Facebook page, which is Richard Naomi, of course. And then there is Ask Dr. Lulu, which is where I do my Sunday. Every Sunday I do a Facebook Live and we discuss different things. Like last Sunday we talked about just addiction, a brief overview. This Sunday we're talking about, we're going to pick something and I'm picking the opioids just because it's in the news. But my, my 20 year was like, what has that got to do with teenagers? Did you know that people age 20 to 29 are the most likely? I said, okay, you know what? How about the fact that those are teenagers' siblings and I don't want the teenagers to find, <laughs> I have to find a way to wing it. But also the fact that in Florida is a huge, huge problem in Florida. So yeah, so I asked Dr. Lulu and you have to spell out the word doctor 
Okay. And then I also have a group that I'm just beginning. It's just in the budding phase. It's called Teen Alive. And only because I'm trying to trademark that name. That is the name of, also happens to be the name of my website, which is www.teenalive.com. So it's one teen at a time is who I'm trying to save. And no, I'm not focusing only on teenagers. I just pick teenagers because they're in the middle. Of course, as a pediatrician, I'm zero to 21. So it's children, teens, and young adults that I, I try to, to mentor to and be there for and talk to their parents and talk to them. But teens were kind of like in the middle. So teenalive.com is my website. Teen Alive is the name of the Facebook group. And then I have a blog that I'm really proud of. It's more of a personal blog. It's mostly just creative writing. I'm not trying to sell anything on there. But I did have one that I released. I just published, I think, on Sunday morning that was called, Do You See Me? Do You Know Me? And that's really a tribute to all who have been bullied out there, just so they know that I see them and I know them. I love that piece. My mom was like, wow, where did you get the words from? It's just talking about how when you push me and pull at my hair, when you call me names and when you kick me and I think it says something like, do you know me? Do you feel my pain? When I wake up in the morning and my heart is racing and my hands are sweating and I'm just dreading going to school again, do you know that I go through that? Things like that. And then do you know that I have thoughts about killing myself? Do you know that I have thoughts about hurting you? Do you know that I want to get even and I want you to feel my pain? Do you know that? Then it ends by saying, but you know, don't you, that I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to hurt you, but I will tell you one thing for sure. You're not going to hurt me anymore. I will make sure of that today. Something like that. And then it's like, what is that person saying? Are they about to hurt themselves? Is that what they're going to do? Are they going to tell somebody about it? How are they going to stop that? So it's kind of like a prelude to my book that's coming out for elementary and middle school kids called Don't Just Stand There, Do Something. And that's in the premise of the fact that 15% of most children are bullies, 15% of most children are bullied, but 70% of them are bystanders. So he's actually talking to those bystanders. Don't just stand there, do something. I'm going to try to write the book around the poem, but I'm really excited about that. I love words. I like to write. I like to talk, as you can tell. <laughs> I love it. And we will blast everything and all things that you're doing because it is so necessary. And I just want to put a small plug in at the end. If there's anyone who is listening right now, and this has hit more than just close to home, I encourage you to reach out. If it's to me, if it's to Dr. Ume, if it's to someone you trust, we want to help you. And so please reach out. After having that conversation with Dr. Ume, I really felt like my kick of encouragement needed to be a talk to remind everybody that even though we all deal with um, feeling isolated and feeling very much alone, even when we're in a room full of people, that we really truly aren't, that there are many of us out into the world who can exactly understand where you are at and probably ourselves have been there before. So I want my kick of encouragement first and foremost to remind every single listener out there that you are not alone and that a listening ear and help is available to every single listener who hears this podcast. Um, I leave space for any and every colleague um, to schedule a call or a video conference with me because it really truly is my life's mission that no one, no one have to walk through their day and feel so dark and feel so lonely 
that um, the darkness is starting to creep in on them. So if I am talking directly to you right now, I want you to go to the show notes. I want you to book a call with me. If it's not quick enough, then I want you to send me an email and say that you need to talk because help is available. It really is. And I am here for you. If you have been in that place, but are doing a better place, but still feeling down or overwhelmed or, you know, having some dreads kind of creep in for you, your kick of encouragement is just a few little tips that I have. The first one is remember that this is not your forever. Um, When one of my colleagues told me, I hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 years of your career, I almost fell on the floor in the fetal position and wanted to cry and vomit at the same time. So I understand what feeling like being trapped is like and that you have to remember that you're not probably going to be in that position until you retire. You can be if it's helpful and sustainable and a beautiful practice for you. But if it's not, hold on to the truth that it is not your forever. It may feel huge, immovable, impossible right now, but just remind yourself, this, my right now, is not my circumstance forever. Tip number two I want to remind you is to reduce contaminated time. So what contaminated time is, it's when you're doing one thing, but you're thinking about something else. Or in our cases as female physicians, we're thinking of about six other things while we're doing that one task. And contaminated time is, um, you know, when you're at work, but you're kind of thinking about, okay, you got to get to the grocery store or worried about who's going to make dinner or take a kid to soccer or thinking about, you know, your teacher, kid's teacher called you or something with your spouse or partner or some other kind of organization or the call schedule, but yet you're still trying to see patients. So contaminated time can also happen when you're at home, but you're thinking about a patient, you're going through notes, thinking back over the day, um, and just having a bunch of stuff running around while you're trying to do family time. And this causes a lot of stress. So in order to change that, I want you to engage and repeat with me, I'm just going to be right here. And that kind of brings you back to the moment. I'm just going to be with this patient, or I'm just going to be with this chart, or I'm just going to be with this child right now in this moment. And when you bring that back and kind of wipe out that clutter in your mind, it makes that time more intentional. And then later when you can focus your mind on those other tasks, it makes it more fruitful. So tip number three is find someone to be your accountability shoulder. This can be a trusted friend, a colleague, a coach who can support you as you move through changes in your life. Changes that are going to reduce and eventually eliminate the dreads and the darkness in your life. This person should be a combination of a shoulder to cry on when you're tired and discouraged, but also an accountability partner for someone to push you to do those hard things and to support you in those hard matters. This person is there to pick you up when you're down. They'll cry with you. They'll check in with you on your progress and do it in a supportive and encouraging way. Because many times as doctors, you know, we're just very stoic, we're very private, but the key here is with this accountability shoulder, because it needs to probably be somebody outside of your spouse or partner, is that you need that support along your journey. Tip number four is to set boundaries to keep good things in. 
So you've probably heard me talk about this before. I'm a good old farm girl. You know, I built fences when I was younger and even help my husband today. And, you know, many times we think about setting up boundaries to keep things out that we don't want. But remember, many times boundaries or fences are to keep good things in. Like you want to keep your livestock in or you want to keep your kid in your backyard or your puppy. So setting boundaries with your time allows you to keep the good stuff in your life. Remember that. If you're asked to, on yet another committee to work on or to take another call or pick up an extra shift, remember you're setting boundaries like perhaps no more commitments so that you can keep the good things in your life in place. So if that room mom asks you to bring uh, cookies to your son's class, remember to set that boundary because it's a time commitment yet again and offer to give her a check and don't feel guilty about it because you're still contributing. And then tip number five, put action into your practice. So I talk a lot about action steps, about taking that one little movement forward to um, move in the direction that you wanna go. So we can talk more about how to set up action steps and that sort of thing, but it really just comes down to figuring out in this moment, what can you do in one step, one small step, to move you with a little bit of forward movement. Maybe it's as simple as sending an email to someone who's doing something that you wanna do and just asking them questions. Maybe it's as simple as saying no to something. Maybe it's blocking that last spot in your schedule so that you have time to finish your notes before going home. Maybe it's something as simple as setting up like a delivery service for your groceries so you don't have to run to the store and in, but yet that task is taken care of. Maybe a simple set step is establishing a better schedule with your family so that there's better expectations. Whatever that small, simple step is to eliminate some of the dread and some of the darkness, I want to encourage you to do that today. So again, the five steps are remind yourself this is not your forever, reduce contaminated time, find someone to be your accountability shoulder, set boundaries to keep good things in, and put action steps into your practice. Hey there, did you know that currently this podcast is just about at 2,000 downloads in two and a half months? That means several hundred of us are coming together and hearing these conversations each and every time I drop episodes. When I think about that, it's just utterly amazing. And here's a shout out to all you in Texas. Right now, you are leading the market in downloads, so keep it up. But here's the thing. I need help to grow my reach. I would really love to have you seriously consider supporting this podcast by sponsoring an episode. So there's a link in the show notes to check out how to become a sponsor of a particular episode here on Dr. Me First. And with the sponsorship, they're going to be different than other podcasts. You know, other podcasts is more commercially. I would love the support and sponsorship of this podcast to be a shout out to a colleague, to spread inspiration by telling about something amazing that you're doing in your life or business or practice, sharing a silly story or joke to bring some more fun into our lives, Something like that, that brings encouragement, inspiration, hope, and fun. Whatever it is, I would love to partner with you to make this podcast better. So head to my website via the link in the show notes and sign up to be a sponsor of an episode just one time. 
super easy, very inexpensive, and it will be totally tailored to this fun, energizing idea. So think about it, pop on over, and if you have any additional questions, just email me at erinwiseman at gmail.com. Thanks so much, guys, and here we go. 